So Rick, that was up in the Huntsville area, says, hey, have you read the Lonnie Frisbee book? And I had to say, actually, I've owned volume one and two. There's a third one now. I've owned them for a little while. I couldn't remember how long I owned them. And I don't know where mine is. I started it. So I started looking. I started it. They, they've been out since two, like 2022, one, 21, I think. I don't know. I've owned it for two years. And uh, Roger Sachs, who lived here for a while, who's friends with some of our friends, uh, he's the one who Roger and Roxanne have like a, a ranch. And Lonnie, in his last few years, wanted to tell, or Roger wanted him to tell his story in his own words. And so Roger made all these videos and audio recordings and things of Lonnie, and he's put them in book form and three volumes. And the timing is great. I mean, it's already out before the movie came out. And so if you see the Jesus Revolution, a part of it is about Lonnie Frisbee, and part of it's about Chuck Smith down at uh, Costa Mesa and the Jesus, all the hippies getting saved and getting baptized in the ocean. And Lonnie played a big part. And Lonnie played um, an important part in the vineyard development, in, uh, especially Mother's Day 1980 when he came to the Anaheim Vineyard. And then somebody asked me, like my grandson, I took, I took Ben to see the movie and talked with him because he wanted to know some of our, he knows the history, he's been raised in the church and they're an Episcopal church in Rainbow City now. And uh, so he and I went to the movie and as the credits were rolling, he was saying, now what about, how does this fit in, Granddad? I said, well, it's like chicken and the egg. I said, Vineyard was part of the Calvary Chapel movement. And I don't know what happened, which happened when. So, so I went and found my quest for the radical middle. And I need to get some of those in the bookstore because, doggone it, that was written in 1999. Wimber died in 97. I know y'all don't want these numbers, but they're all still floating in my head from this weekend. So I found my copy, and I, have written, I had read the front of this book and the back of the book, the chapter about how the vineyard became the vineyard I had never read. So no wonder I couldn't just spout it off to my grandson. So we were Calvary Chapel Church, the vineyards were. There were five of them, and Ken Gullickson had started them. Ken likes to paint, uh, like uh, old paintings and stuff, and he would go to the beach and paint on the beach. People would start talking to him. Pretty soon he'd say, hey, I'm going to do a Bible study here before sunset, people would come. He would start it. He's so good at this. He would start this, say, on Tuesday nights, and then pretty soon he'd start another group on Wednesday nights, and pretty soon there'd be like four nights that he had Bible studies at the beach. And when he got these four groups going of about 15 people or so, he said, let's meet together and just worship and something. He's starting a church. So he had five of these that he had started. He would spin off and do one, go do another one. So, but Ken liked, loved doing that, and he, he hated the work of kind of like answering the pastor's problems and things. You know, he'd set up a pastor, and then, so he knew Wimber a little bit, and he went to John and said, John, you're in church growth and all this stuff at Fuller Seminary, and, and, and you know, would you consider pastoring the pastors? So John prayed, and the Lord said, 
tell him yes. So he did. There were five churches that were Calvary chapels, but they called them Vineyard because every time Ken started another church, I know, aren't this exciting? Don't you want to know all this? I'm just, this is useless, right? But anyway, so there's these five Calvary chapels that are called Vineyards because when Ken would start another church and change it a little bit, he would want to put a new name on it. He's been doing, Ken is still alive. You can still see stuff and uh, he has trouble with his knees and stuff. But um, so he's got five Calvary chapels that he calls Vineyard. Okay. And so then Chuck Smith, who you may have heard of, Chuck was uh, uh, Cosa Mesa. Is that where he is down there? He was when he was alive. And, and he's, he, anyway, he's a guy, and that's where they're, all the hippies have gone down to, found out, and Lonnie's down there, and they've started baptizing in the ocean, and he's the one that had the little church with the people saying, we don't like all the hippies, they're scratching up everything, and they're turning up the carpet, and anyway. He let them start coming, and they filled it up, and, and, and spun off a bunch of Calvary Chapel churches. I forgot how many there are still now. And so Wimber started because he's at Fuller and studying the Bible, and God said, quit preaching your experience, preach my word. Well, in his word, God prays for people, wants us to pray for people. So John started praying for people, and nothing happened. They would get, go behind, they, they rented a, like a um, cafetorium kind of in, a, in a school, and they would go behind the curtain, and they'd pray for people, and nothing would happen. And uh, one of the guys, can I, can I say it honestly the way he said it? Well, I shouldn't. I'll, I'll just tell you the letter of the word. So they were going back, back there praying for people, and nothing's going on one night. And this guy, one of them says, he got up from praying. He says, I'm never going behind the D, three-letter word, four-letter four letter word starts with a D. I'm never going behind that curtain again. Yeah, it's sort of like those big things that you stop up water in and keep water from coming through and you put your finger in them, you know, and there's a knife. Okay, so this guy says this, gets up, and he's driving home. He's driving home, right? And he starts hearing a Bible verse. I mean, not the words, just, the fr just whatever this was, you know, somewhere in the Bible. Keeps go going over and over, and it hit, won't leave him alone. I mean, just Bible verse, Bible verse. I don't know what that Bible verse is. Just won't, not gets out of his car. He turns on the lights, goes in the living room, opens his Bible to this place, and it says, "God dwelleth behind the curtain." <laughs> so he happened to have a chicken coop in his backyard. He went out to the chicken coop and took some of the droppings in the chicken coop and put it on top of his head. It was the only way that he could come up with repenting to God about the curtain thing. <laughs> yeah, this really happened. Uh, and then a trickle started happening of healing. If you hear John tell the story of how, how it began, and uh, we'll, I'll save that. That's not my story. I'll tell, we'll, it's a good story. So, uh, so, John started having, they would have worship, and then they would, Calvary Chapel style worship, like love song in the movie and all that stuff, and then John would get up and teach, 
And then instead of in Calvary to pray for the sick, they, would, they started making praying for the sick because of Lonnie and all this other stuff. The things get a little wild. Calvary started putting praying for the sick kind of off to the side or sort of out of, I mean, you know, go around the corner over here and y'all pray. And they, they just didn't want to call attention to uh, take away from the service. John, on the other hand, because of him studying church growth, and noticing a connection in churches that prayed for the sick, and, and there was a connection with the churches growing, eventually he would write a book called Power, Power Healing, another one called Power Evangelism, which we had in the bookstore. And John saw the connection between church growth and signs and wonders. So, so John, and them doing the curtain, and then God started showing up, and so they started in their Calvary, Praying for the sick immediately. As soon as he got through preaching, they would pray for the sick. So, meanwhile, the other Calvaries that are under Chuck Smith, who's all them, they're not doing this. John and maybe a couple, a couple of Calvaries doing it. And so Chuck asked John to come in and said, Hey, when they come to your, vine your Calvary, your, the vineyard ones, uh, these three or four, uh, they, you know, they're getting confused. I keep getting reports from people going, they're doing it different in those vineyard calvaries. He said, Could you, would y'all pray about changing your name or, 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 or start following the same pattern at the other churches, you could put your healing stuff off to the side and not like immediately. So John went back, prayed at their church, and, and his leadership said, we like what we're doing. And so he went to Ken Gullickson, who had started this. He says, okay, so Chuck wants us to do this. What do you want to do? And he said, I don't know. There are some that are complaining about it. And so John said to Ken, he said, I think, I think we're going to have to make the vineyards just vineyard and not Calvary Chapel. And Chuck agreed. And so thus began the vineyard as a standalone Chuck, if you go back in the history, and I've been reading the uh, Quest for the Radical Middle, Chuck thought that they would just go ahead and they would do this, and, and they would stay in the Calvary Chapel movement. They just would be vineyards. But John saw that this down the road was going to be confusing. So, um, so by the end, there were seven churches that were vineyards. They had two more guys had were good at church growth and they'd started in two other places so we had seven and when the seven started uh, seven vineyards within the next year uh, there were 30 calvaries that liked doing stuff the way the vineyard guys did and so they changed from being calvaries to vineyards and we went to 37 so there were 37 churches roughly when God told me to start something in Gadsden, but I didn't know it was going to be a vineyard. I just was at Meadowbrook Baptist, and that, and then I met John. That was uh, God had told me uh, January, is it the 16th, 1983, and I met John and his wife and Blaine and Becky Cook in Nashville in April of 1983, and that's when I adopted them, and he offered to give me 100 cassette tapes, and one of the cassette tapes was Lion Frisbee's testimony which I didn't know it was a famous thing, this Mother's Day. Yeah, I just was looking for stuff to, from the catalog of stuff they had. Okay.
that was free and go, please don't do that again for a few months. Turn with me to John chapter 5. So I've been doing little, uh, these stories through here, and you know, John's book is different than the synopsis gospels. They call them that because the first three gospels are, are all kind of based, we think, possibly on uh, maybe a gospel that exists that we don't have, that, but, but Mark seems to be the oldest one, and there might have been a version of this before that, we're not sure. Luke does more of an expanded one. Matthew's is, is covers that, but they're all pretty much the very same story. I mean, you can just find the same things in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, but when you go to John, John tells the story from a personal up, kind of a real personal, slightly poetic kind of way of talking, you know, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among, I mean, you know, John's colorful like that. So John is telling the Gospel. His comes later, and so he's filling the story in differently. So he's telling stories things that happen with Jesus, but he's also got a background of evan he's evangelizing people with this. He wants this to be a proof that when people read it, they'll go, wow, Jesus is Messiah as a Jewish person. That, that's, that's his, you know, he's pushing this. So that's, we have these stories. So if you, you know, when, when you back up and you start reading the different stories, and like one of them is the woman at the well, you know, and uh, Jesus is so good at starting stuff. You know, he just says to her in chapter 4, give me a drink. That starts this whole dialogue with this Samaritan woman. You know, it wouldn't have started if he not asked her for a drink. And uh, then the next story over after, that's in what, chapter 4 of John. And then the next story is... Um, the uh, well, there's a little story on the end of chapter four there uh, uh, of a uh, um, of a guy with healing about his son, and you know, and uh, he's asking Jesus to come, and Jesus says, "Go home, your son's well." The guy starts going home, and on the way home, his guys at work for him said, "Hey, your son's well," and he says, "Well, what time did that happen?" And it's about the very thing he figured out. It's the same time that Jesus has said, go home, your son's well. And this is in Cana of Galilee. And this is, and it mentions at the end of chapter 4, and this is the second miracle that takes place. The first one is the water into wine in Cana. So then in chapter 5, we're going to do just part of chapter 5. Okay, so let's do another one of the stories. So, New American Standard. Lord, we ask you to bless this. And... Uh, Speak to each of us exactly where we are today, totally apart from anything that's going on. You, you know everybody here, and you know exactly where we are, and, and you have a plan for each of us in the kingdom. You, we are not just random. Uh, you known us from the beginning. Your will be done. Chapter 5. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, is a pool. There are like these gates, you know, around Jerusalem that they could lock. And there's a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. And Bethesda means house of kindness in Hebrew, or, or mercy. But usually house of kindness is how we say it. And it had four porches. It had four porticos. These were kind of covered areas that people could 
See how the sun? Verse 3, and, these, and in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Wow. Just imagine when you go by here, there's all these people in bad shape. Okay, so now the, the, the later they will add a little section here, which is not in the earliest manuscript. It's just a little bit of an explanation, but it doesn't hurt being in there. And it says, they were waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease which he had been afflicted. So that's the extra little story line, little line stuck in. But it's useful as you see the story why they would put that in there. Okay, verse 5. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. He's been sick a really long time. Verse 6. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? There is like the woman at the well saying, would you give me a drink? It starts a conversation. Jesus is, comes up on this scene, and either we don't know, because we don't have in Scripture, was he, did the Father say, I want you to go down there to the, to the pool today, because I got some business for you to do. We don't know. But what we do have is we can, we can work with what we've got. So Jesus, he sees him, and when he sees him, he knows something. He knows he's been in this for a long time. But he knows some other stuff. As, this, as these verses expand, you'll see that there's more going on. Jesus just didn't like, hey, I'm looking for somebody I want to heal so I can prove that I'm the son of God. <laughs> I think I'll go pick that guy. You know, there's, there's a thing to this. So uh, it says something to you and me. Are we watching? Are we watching? Now, if you're, in, I, I hope you're not like me. You, you, I've told y'all, I'm ADD. I'm, I, there's a thousand things moving through my head all the time. But sometimes the spirit actually does this. I like used to in high school, I would illustrate by pulling on my shirt. God would like go, hey, Jim, what? What's his name over there? Go across the room to what's his name in the room. Because I have my students that see me even now and go back and tell me of some encounter I had with them in the art room while I'm walking across the room, looking at them doing art, and I say something to them is profound spiritually. And they even have to the point they said, you know, I taught my child or my children what you taught me in high school. What? Yeah, one day you came by and I was painting and you, you said this. Stuck with me all these years. I don't know who this art guy was, but he had to be brilliant or he happened to be a normal person that was the art teacher and God was just like every so often putting stuff in his mouth to say because I don't remember any of it. Uh, one, I remember one. Uh, well, a girl that got saved one afternoon after school because she'd had an abortion. And God started a conversation. And it just kept going on. And I haven't seen her in years. 
she turned a hundred and what is it 180 degrees the other direction 180 degrees her life never turned back we had a bible study going at glencoe high school with wayne finley and i and davy handy we had one with kids after school and we had one in hooks bluff and we decided one night that we would bring the two bible studies together we did she was from the glencoe one he her husband to be was from the hooks bluff one they saw eyes met that was it they got kids i haven't seen them in a long time it was a good story and to show you stuff you, you understand why i tell you these stories that i'm i see myself as really normal and maybe below normal you know i would go into glencoe high school back then it had a it had a a, a big outer place where we had all the trophies and stuff from all the things that we'd won down through the years you know an, an open place kids would come in and stay before the opening bell of the school what's that called the the four-year okay in front of the principal's office okay well i would always park because i was a traveling art teacher between hoaxwell and glencoe i always park around the back and the art room was the old kitchen and i would come in through the, that door and i had to sign in in the office so i would come through the doorway on this breezeway walk around the trophy cases into the front door right so the kids are out there this particular girl that later i would have in my high school art room and god would save and the abortion stuff she liked the color purple and every time i would come in my eye would catch this bright purple across the room i didn't know who this was i just you know just as an art teacher you, you notice people that stand out some way if it had been orange it had been orange but it was purple she always had purple on and I, I would, I would, um, I learned to know what her face looked like. So in the 11th grade, uh, the opening of school, you know, the first day of class, the girl in purple's there. I went, that's that girl I've been noticing since like the ninth grade when she started here. I never, I didn't tell her that because like that sounds weird, you know. But our teacher, not now, but it, but it did seem weird. But that watching, uh, the whole part of that story was that God had already pointed her out to me, but I didn't know I w he was pointing her out to me. It's just, I just thought it was interesting this girl lacked purple. I never noticed that. So, so he has his ways of getting your attention. He draws you to someone. I think Jesus is drawn to this guy. And I think in the moment that he sees him, a whole load of information comes to Jesus from Father. Knowledge about this guy. Verse 6. When, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that they had been we already in, uh, in a long time in this condition, he says to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man says, verse 7, sir, I have no one to put me into the poo when the water is stirred up. See, now we understand why they included that explanation above it. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus says to him, so here we have a command now. And sometimes he'll have you do a command with somebody. And I know it's weird and awkward, especially in America and Gadsden, Alabama, or you, maybe you do it someplace else and you get away with it because people, you go, yeah, they don't know me. What would it matter? I'm at a conference. He says, get up, 
pick up your pallet and walk. Okay. Immediately, the man became well. He picks up his pallet and begins to walk. Whoa. Okay. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. Yep. Because... There is some Pharisees and Sadducees. Not everybody is. You know, you, you got a, an occasional Roman. You got other people around Jerusalem. Not everybody's Jewish, but there's some Jewish people there. Verse 10. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. You cannot work on Sabbath. You can only walk so far. I mean, there's all these rabbinical, the, you know, they've made a stack of thousands of things you can and can't do you know and one of those is you're going to walk so far and you definitely can't work on sabbath you know uh so verse 11 but he answered them the guy he says uh he who made me well was the one who said to me pick up your pallet and walk and they said to him who is the man who said to you pick up your pallet and walk yeah we're gonna write him up you know, he's done broken the Sabbath rules. This is not good for the Jewish people. This is, this is not good, not good, not good. But the man who was healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Okay. Okay, that's understandable. Crowd, people, Jesus slips away. Now 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. He's <laughs> He's put his pallet somewhere, and he's well after 38 years, and he is worshiping God. So what do you do? Go in the temple. You're Jewish. You know, you have a, you have, can't do this. You haven't done this in 38 years, but you do it today. Okay, he goes in the temple, and he says to him, Jesus is talking, and he says to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore. So that nothing worse happens to you. Isn't that odd? What a thing for Jesus to say to somebody. Be detectives for a minute. What's going on? It's serious, isn't it? So Jesus has tracked him down and told him a second statement, right? First statement, do you want to get well? Then a declaration, take up your pallet and walk. Jesus disappears. The Jews get a thing going with the guy walking with the pallet. But now Jesus seeks him out and gives him some more instruction. What do you suppose he did 38 years ago? That's an odd thing to say to him. Behold, you've become well. Do not sin anymore. Yeah. Something, something he did spiritually 38 years ago caused this. Don't know. That's, yeah, that's another good thing right there, see? Yeah. But isn't that neat that Jesus would say, so that nothing worse happens to you? Yeah. This dadgum Jesus is pretty good. I mean, you, you got to like, 
You got to like this guy. I mean, yeah, you got to like this guy. He, man, he tracked him down. Yeah, I think, I think he knew it all as soon as he saw him. Among all these other kinds of sick people, when he saw this guy, he knew it. He knew, he knew the whole story. Because that's the way God drops information in a lot of times. He, he, you either, sometimes you just know it all right then. Or as the situation unfolds, I've seen, I've seen Wimber do it where it would start with, he'd say, okay, ministry time. Or he'd call it clinic. Is how he came up with saying that. He'd say, okay, let's have clinic. We're all sitting in the room. He says, so, Holy Spirit, would you come and demonstrate that you care for people? And that you, I know, I know you love everybody in this room right now, but you, you, oh, you, we want you to demonstrate something. Show it to us. John would just stand there on the stage, might walk around with a microphone. 30 seconds to go by, maybe a, a whole minute. I don't know. I don't think, it doesn't seem like it was a whole minute, but he, it wasn't instantly. And he would say, there is a woman in here. They go, okay, go ahead and laugh. That's what I heard. I'm just going to tell this to you as I get it. There's a woman in here. And we would all laugh. And then he'd repeat it. There's a woman in here, and she's sitting on this side of the room. Okay. We're game. There's a woman in here sitting on this side of the room. He says, I'm telling you this because this is comes, it's coming to me today. Sometimes it, I, I have all these pieces to start with, but sometimes it comes as you unfold it. There's a woman in here. She's sitting on this side of the room. She's, she's wearing red. In fact, she's wearing red, and she's sitting somewhere in this section right here. Yeah, 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 you saw them all looking. at We're looking, we're all looking over that way, the whole room of us, of a thousand people. Yeah, we, hey, he's totally got us caught in this, you know. And, and yeah, and, uh, and this lady in red and her friends by now are elbowing her. And she apparently is the only one with red right there. And uh, <laughs> they elbow her. So uh, he can see this from up there. He says, would you, would you mind standing up? She stands up. God does a healing right then. Step by step by step. John was good at it, but John got better at it the more of it he did with time. You, you don't know how, how good you are at anything until you start practicing it. I would have students that they would put in the art room because they were troublemakers in other classes, and they got and you got to stick them somewhere, but stick them in the art room, you know. And uh, I've and pretty soon we're painting, and and they've never been they've never painted before. And this particular it would happen every so often, you know. And one of them I would go, "That's really good." No, no, that's just terrible. I said, "I'm an art teacher. I've got a degree in this. This is really good." No, no, just, just keep working on it, okay? In fact, if this keeps going like this, I'm going to put this in an art show. 
No, don't do it. Yes, I'm going to put it in an art show because I think it has the potential for winning. And then I would win the art show with their piece of work. No. Yes. Did I let them live that down? No. <laughs> so the kid that wasn't ever going to even be in art ended up being the one went, getting first place at the county art show. Yes. And, and being trained, I could tell that it was good. Right? So you and I are being continuously being trained in the kingdom, the business of the kingdom of God. <sighs> but we have to take risk. We, we, there's no way to try this stuff if we don't try this stuff. Okay, let's finish up. So, the man went away, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Verse 16, for the reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus, John's teaching in between telling us stories here, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, letting you know why it was going on. Verse 17, but he answered them, Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And for this reason, therefore, the Jews were, Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he didn't, he, he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, or papa, you know, making himself equal with God. Woo, gosh, you want to you get an Orthodox Jew, just, just tell him that you're, you know, just, just, just call God your father. They would have caught, he can't do that. I mean, he can't do that. That makes him, I mean, they, don't, you know, they might say, well, that would mean that he's the Messiah. I mean, he's the chosen, the one. you know, the, he, can't, he can't do this, you know. <laughs> and then he says, uh, verse 19, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, that's when it's like the verily, verily. That means double the word. This is really important what I'm about to say. I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Okay, how does this apply to you and me? God the Father is up to stuff. God the Father shows Jesus, his son, what he's up to. Jesus says, I don't go start stuff. I do what Dad shows me to do. Now, you and I, who speaks to us the most? Third person of the Godhead? Anyone? Thank you, Ferris Bueller. Yes. <laughs> so, the Father shows the Son, the Son shows the Spirit, you and I. So, we're in this lineage of information flow. So, we're always in the business of watching and listening because we never know. And hopefully, we will go beyond our comfort 
Oh, I don't want to do that, God. That might make me look stupid. I don't know. About, there's no telling how many that I've missed, Miles, that because I didn't do It is. It does get easier, but it's still, but it's still, right. It's, it is still uncomfortable. It is still uncomfortable. Yeah. Just put you in line at Walmart and the person in front of you and the spirit starts going, I want you to talk to them. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm going to be late. I, I'm throwing up everything I can throw up. Please, please. Yeah, please don't make me. <laughs> it's too bad that, that I can't be in the same mood at Walmart that I did as a school teacher. I know it because school teacher, I was listening to John Wimber cassette tapes, y'all remember those, in the car all the time. There was one always on. And, and so I'm walking to, between Hoax Bluff and Glencoe going to these two schools, and I'm, list, I'm always listening. I'm listening going. I'm listening between schools. Usually I turn it off afterward because by then I, I just can't think anymore by the end of the day. But uh, I'm in the mood for this. So should we do this or not? I'm not getting on to us. I mean, I, I include myself. Should we do this stuff or not? Should we watch? Should we ask for appointments and stuff? Jesus says, I've come that, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance, overflowing. Okay. Does that happen when we just walk along and regular? Yes, I know it can happen just doing our normal stuff. We went the well, you know. She goes back and tells everybody. The disciple shows up with the food. You want something to eat? No, I have bread that you don't know of. Who gave him bread? It had been the right. It had been the encounter with the woman at the well. You and I have richness of life because. We obey, and we obey because we're watching and listening. That's a dangerous thought he's saying over there, and he's right. So that's, that's really dangerous, and it's true. And Benjamin, you don't get off because you're younger. He might give you something today. You know, Samuel was just a kid, and God started calling his name out one night. And he went to Eli, who he who his mother had put him with the priest, you know. And Eli caught on about, what, the third time? He said, if you hear your name again, say, yes, I'm listening. Your servant's listening. So he went back to bed, and God said, Samuel. And he said, your servant's listening. And God explained everything that was going to happen next to the house of Eli. And the next morning, when he got up, Eli said, did he talk to you last night? And Samuel said, yes. What did he say? And he explained it all. And it all came to pass. And later it says, not a word that Samuel said ever fell to the ground. But it started with a voice calling his name out when he was in bed. You never know when it'll start. This is convicting embarrassing lord i bless the girl in purple wherever she is right now i've not seen her in a few years i bless her and her kids you give us all 
a girl in purple or whatever or a face or somebody in line or you speak to us on our bed like Samuel. It's uh, some sort of encounter that you set up. You just, we just say hello to someone in the street in front of the church or in, in a restaurant. I just, Lord, it's, it's your bread. Our bread is to do your will. We're already your children. We don't have to. We don't have to. You called us when we were yet sinners. We don't have to. But, but it gives us just that much more spiritual life to be in our Father's business. We ask you this week that you give all of us something to do in the family business. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.